We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high hello across all of Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I am your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me as per usual is my good friend and colleague. He is Mile High Huddle's senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Eric, dude, uh, it's cold. Let me just start it off. It's cold across the United States. We've got snow effects or lake effect snow in Buffalo for a playoff game this year. It's 10 degrees below zero right now where I'm at, uh, where you're at. I'm not exactly sure, but it's cold. It's blustery. It's windy. How are you doing, my friend? You hanging doing good. I mean, it's been a, a rough week, but mm-hmm. hanging in there. I mean, no Broncos football this weekend, but we got playoff football. But the biggest thing for me is the draft season's here. So getting working on that, finishing up my last couple articles about the season. This is going to be the last Dove LED Divers episode about this, the 2023 season. And then from here on out, we're going to be focusing on the draft. And draft season's here. I'm excited. And there is so much to talk about because the Broncos can go just about any way they possibly can in the draft. Yeah, man. It's 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 awesome. You know, the Broncos finally have a first-round pick for the first, first time since – what, Pat Sertan? Yeah. It's been since the Broncos picked Patrick Sertan 2021. The Broncos have not had a first-round pick. They picked number 12 overall this year. Obviously, the quarterback conversation is going to be a huge one going throughout the offseason. But even if they don't go quarterback, I mean, you could you could help bolster the offensive line if you wanted to, enter defensive line, the edge position, cornerback position, a bunch of different angles that we can go to. I'm just now getting started on a lot of my draft evaluations. Uh, I've been working on that over the last couple of days. Uh, it, just understanding some of the different scenarios. Obviously, the top of the draft with the Chicago Bears, you don't know where they're going to go. Uh, potential trade partners, if the Broncos want to move up, how they can potentially get some more ammunition to go in that direction. Maybe they even want to trade down, try to g- gain some more draft ammunition in that particular aspect. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. I'm excited to join in with you on that. Yeah, one, one way that they can help get draft some draft picks, the Raiders can hire Kelly Klein. Yeah. They interviewed her, they interviewed her the other day. And I mean, there's been a lot of, of praise set her way from people that I've spoken with. But if they were to hire because hire her, the Broncos get a third round pick this year and a third round pick next year. That would definitely help out the draft pick situation. But it's a Friday night. The season's over. 
And there's actually some news that we can talk about. It, right. It's very it's very uncommon that we get to talk about some news when it comes to the Broncos. Yeah, man. It, so obviously uh, earlier today, the uh, NFL released their all pro teams. Uh, this, I believe, is the, the players vote. We have, uh, I believe it's Justin Simmons and um, and Marvin Mims making the second team all pro. So at the safety positions, yes, uh, uh, Justin Simmons made second team all pro besides uh, Jesse Bates. And then at the, uh, the excuse me, kick returner, Marvin Mims Jr., rookie Marvin Mims Jr. made the second team all pro in terms of uh, th- this this last season. Eric, there's a big conversation going on and it's, it's about Pat Sertan and why he was not named as a all pro this year. Any insights onto that? Well, I mean, I can't speak as to why he wasn't, except for the fact that he just wasn't good enough this year. Um, it's the, it's the AP all pro. So that's, it's the big one. Um, Patrick Sertan was like, he wasn't top 15 in any statistical category, a positive statistic, uh, category for corners. I mean, I understand that he did well against number one receivers, but he has more responsibility than that. And we see him get beat badly by Robbie Chosen Anderson or whatever his name is for a 70-yard touchdown. We saw him get beat multiple other times for big gains. He had one of the highest first down um, highest first down rates allowed for per target or per catch. And uh, amongst the corners. So I understand why he's not a, an all pro just and taking away the, you know, the player votes. He's probably not a, a pro bowl corner either. Um, just cause mm-hmm. he, it just wasn't a great year for him. No, it, it was, it was a down year all the way around, obviously for the Broncos, but for passer 10 specifically, and I, I just pulled it up. So this was the, the, all uh, the associated press, all pro team. So uh, uh, just a quick apology for that. According to the players, all pro first team, uh, Pastor Tan did actually make it as a first team all pro uh, defensive back to quarterback alongside Deron Bland, who had a tremendous season taking footballs away and scoring touchdowns. Like he had more, um, he had more touchdowns scored at one point than like 15 different receivers, like all pro receiver, like all pro level, all like pro bowl level receivers this year. And he did it on like seven catches. He had five interception returns for a touchdown on like seven interceptions. It was just ridiculous. The ball control and the the, the ability to take the ball away from the, uh, the, the opposition and take it back for a touchdown. Sorry. I, I'm a little flustered here at the beginning of the show. I do apologize for that, but with, with Sertan, it was, it was difficult to watch this year because it seemed like not necessarily technique, but just a focus thing with him. It seemed like he wasn't quite the same player that we've come to know and love with him over this last couple of seasons. Eric, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of things. Um, The biggest thing was there was a huge difference between when he was asked to play zone coverage and man coverage. He absolutely killed it when he was in man coverage, but that just isn't what the Broncos did. Most often they played a lot of zone and that just, put him in a, in a bad spot and it's just not the best thing for him going forward. It's why, while I wouldn't trade him personally, the fact that Vance Joseph is a heavier zone guy, a lot of cover three when he does do man, it's a lot of uh, Tampa two stuff. So zone coverage is very prominent in his scheme. Mm-hmm. That's why I could see a possibility of Patrick Sertan getting moved, but I, ideally you're sitting there trying to build him up and continue to develop him. 
because this was his third year in the NFL. There is still room for growth from him as a player mm-hmm. and sit there and try to work and get him to find a way to be more effective and as its own cover corner. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because last year with Ajiro Evero playing a lot of the two man stuff, he was elite. He was absolutely elite. being able to play with some press coverage, being able to turn and run and show that physicality that he had um, playing off and, and utilizing his change of direction ability is something you and I both had concerns about him coming out of Alabama a couple of years ago. So it, it makes a lot of sense for him to not be able to be physical at the point of attack and having to utilize not necessarily his football IQ, but his vision. It, it seemed to me like his vision is something that really kind of hampers his ability in zone coverage. And that's one of the bigger things that he's going to have to work on moving forward, especially if Vance Joseph sticks around over the, the course of the 2024 season. Now, Eric, I we we talked a little bit about snubs for the Pro Bowl, um, it, it, just back and forth it, privately. And it's it's a difficult conversation because you, you want to talk about the like Pat Sertan and being a snub on the All Pro list or maybe even at the, as a Pro Bowl player or even Quinn Miners or whoever it might be. But what does it make it be a snub for for Pat Sertan in terms of the in terms of the Associated Press All Pro um, teams this year? Is it, it's not necessarily he had a bad year, but what about the players around him at, at his particular position that made? them be more likely to be selected for this all pro status they were better (laughs) like (laughs) like it's it's that simple is as i said patrick sertan he out in any positive category he wasn't top five or top 15 i mean and so he just wasn't he wasn't great and there were guys who had worse pass rushes that still managed to do better than he did and be higher than him so it's just a matter of he didn't perform. There were other issues with it, but it just wasn't a great year, and you got to hope for more improvement going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to get into our Dove Valley Deep Divers, our, our great year in review rewards. But first, we got to give a big shout out to our friends over at Little Caesars Pizza. So make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL part of your game day. Now, when you think about iconic foods when it comes to, to sports, Pizza right there near the top of the list or at the top of the list. It's super easy and it's super convenient. You can order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs plus all day on Sunday and get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave and either way, you win. Yeah, man. Uh, Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, make sure you guys uh, go over to the the pizza portal and uh, grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the game. And again, thank you to Little Caesars for joining us this evening. My goodness. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, now, wow. we, well, real quick, before we get into the topic at hand, we have a bunch of comments coming in. I just want to say hello to the chat. We have Mike S. in there. Dylan Von Arks, as always, helping out behind the scenes. BK coming in, give, informing about Adam Peters. Adam Peters being hired by the commanders. That's a good hire for them. We'll see how it turns out, though. Um, also mentioning Cortland Sutton's Instagram post, David Yunkin. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Citrus, RD. Um, but there's one comment from BK that I want to grab. Paul coming in. Thank you, Paul. And it's because of a fake report that's going about. Earlier today, there was an account that tweeted out about how Caleb Williams made it clear that he won't declare until he gets assurance that the Chicago Bears will trade the pick. That is a completely false report, and the guy who makes it is a well-known troll account, especially when it comes to the New York Giants. The report's not true. That wasn't anything said. But it was. it's always funny to me how some of these troll, account, troll accounts out there on, on Twitter get the traction that they do. Because this is the guy who started off the whole thing. I don't know if you remember right before the trade deadline. There was a big thing from San Francisco that they were going to trade for a Dory Jackson, but they didn't get the papers in time to the to the NFL. That was completely bogus, and it was started by this same guy. Yeah, I sorry, I I froze. Yeah, with with this whole Caleb Williams thing, it's it's frustrating because um, where where does this come from? It's obviously a bogus report, and why are they trying to to slander this guy's name? He's the best player at the quarterback position in this draft. He's going to be the number one overall pick regardless. And I mean, sure, he could go back to school and and make a whole bunch of money and um, and just continue to play out his college career. But you want to get to the NFL. You want to go out there, secure that bag and be the number one overall pick. Like he's going to be a, a guy that could potentially turn around a franchise. And even if it's the Chicago Bears picking number one overall, you have to take a, a hold of that opportunity and and just grab it by the grab it by the reins and just run with it like i don't understand why people want to slander this kid in whatever it may be with his uh the the antics after the washington game where he's crying on the sidelines or uh just the 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 comments about him wanting to go home and cuddle his dog like i don't understand exactly where this report's coming from but it it's not fair to him like let this play out and let's just go through this process in, in good faith, quite honestly, because it's really frustrating to me to see stuff like this come out at a time where like this, this is life altering business for, for Caleb Williams. It's, it's not fair to him and they need to be better as reporters. Yeah. George Fox comes in. Thank you, George. We appreciate the stars. It says great pod guys. Thanks for all your insight to the team. By the way, it was 80 here in Southwest Florida. Holy cow. 
I mean, I wish it was. Fortunately, here where I'm at, we have a slight of a heat, slight heat wave. It's a wonderful 29 degrees here. Um, much better than the below zero that we were dealing with for a while that we had. Mm -hmm. And I guess there's one more thing that we probably should get to before we actually get to the topic at hand. And we're gonna probably gonna get a lot of comments about it. Have you read Cortland Sun's Instagram post? Uh, I I heard it. I didn't actually get a chance to read it, but I didn't think that there was much behind it. It seemed like an open-ended conversation where he was like, you know, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be here. Whatever happens next is just going to be what kind of happens next. Like there's people reading into it, like saying that he's been told that he was going to be traded, maybe released or like some of the stuff with Russell Wilson going on. Like, I didn't think that there was much behind that. So it, it again, this is a bunch of people making something out of nothing, in my opinion. Yeah, so here's the full thing. He posted a couple pictures on it on Instagram. He said, Broncos country, I'm very grateful to be able to have finished off another season here in Denver. Unfortunately, we weren't able to accomplish our main goal. I'm still grateful for all my teammates and support staff that have been riding with me all season. I know all things happen for a reason, and I trust my God's plans over everything, including whatever is next for me. Just know I gave everything to this team and organization every time I stepped on that field. All love, 14. To me... It's very, it's it's a little ambiguous. Uh, it leaves the door open. It, it, if he leaves, it's a goodbye message. If he comes back, it's just expressing that he wasn't sure what's going the future is going to hold, because there is so much. There is a chance he gets traded. There is a chance he gets extended. Like there's still so much up in the air about it. It's understandable. And players, a couple players every year about this time when the, there's so much uncertainty about their status, sticking with the team that they're on always come out and say stuff like this and Phil mm -hmm. McLaughlin coming in. Good evening, Lance, Eric and Deacon Scott. Hey guys, what is the value for Judy? Hashtag Buckham hashtag MHH for life. Hashtag go Broncos. Uh, for me, it's tough because you're asking a team to take on $13 million. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think? I, I, I got, I, I go back and forth on this with, with the value. <laughs> It, it's hard because not only are you taking on the $13 million fifth year option cap hit, you're also taking on a player that's shown to be inconsistent at best in his time on the field. Uh, you're also taking on a guy that seems to have at least a little bit of attitude issues uh, had some off field stuff going on there as well. And it's, it's so hard because of all of the factors going into it. To me, if you can get a third round pick for Jerry Judy or the value of a third round pick, I think that you have to kind of take that, which is unfortunate because I know that the Broncos were asking for a second round pick and maybe even some change going into the trade deadline this last year. But it, when, when you can't trust a player on the field or even off the field to not be necessarily, I don't want to call it a distraction, but also in the same kind of fold, a little bit of a distraction off the field it makes it difficult to get an overall value on his, on his, uh, on his performance and what you could possibly get back in return for him. Yeah. The Broncos, they're not in a position to eat any of that money. So that's going to lower their return value a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's all, it's all guaranteed. So whoever takes them, they're basically stuck paying them that much money. Um, maybe you can squeak out a third round pick and another day three pick, but I, I think you'll be lucky to do so. I think you're looking more at like a fourth and a sixth pick for him or something just because of the financial situation. Um, the Broncos are in where they can't eat money to help, you know, buy a pick, so to speak, or buy a higher pick. Mm -hmm. And because of his cap hit and just because of the inconsistencies ha he has. So it, it's, it all just makes it very tough. Now, 
since we're talking about receivers, we can jump into this, going into our topic. We have a handful of awards to hand out. Um, guys, make sure you guys get who you have for it. Our first award is the MVP on offense. And for me, it's the guy we were just talking about in Cortland Sutton. I mean, this is a guy he drew nine defensive pass interference penalties, mm-hmm. which is tied for the most in the NFL for 210 yards, which is nearly like 40 or 50 yards more than the person who he was tied with. Nobody else was close, was over like 170 for him or in yards drawn for that. And not only that, 10 touchdowns, making catches when needed. Yes, there were some issues with drops. Yes, there were some issues with some fumbles there, especially mm-hmm. early on in the season. But no one on this Broncos offense was perfect. They're all whoever you pick for MVP, anybody can sit there and find faults with faults with. And he was 20th out of like 140 receivers that I filtered through in the average depth of catch. He had the 20th highest depth of catch out of like 140 receivers. That's crazy, man. And and going back to that 10 touchdown number, eight of those came in the red zone. In fact, I, th- I believe the first eight of his touchdown receptions were in the in the red zone. So his his productivity as the go-to guy in critical situations for this offense was absolutely tremendous for this team. I'm actually going to go to the offensive line here. And my offensive MVP is Quinn Miners, right guard, man. Uh, the fourth high highest pass blocking efficiency percentage at 97.9 of 28 players with 80% of 777 pass block snaps, the highest run block grade of the 23 guards with 80% of the run block snaps. And the big thing here for me was the turnaround from the start of the season, man. He was not great at the beginning of this year. He was, he was caught off balance all the time. He lunged into blocks. Uh, he was not necessarily the most consistent in pass protection, but the big thing was the turnaround. Like he was tremendous down the stretch of the season. And in terms of the contractual value, that third round pick that he's on his production for what he has paid was the highest for his cost on this offense, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, Quinn Miners, he was my he was my choice number two. I could have gone either way, and either way is fine. I mean, they both had their huge impact on the Broncos' offense in different ways. Quinn Miners started off a little bit rough in the last few games. He wasn't like not all of them, but there was like a couple games out of the last few that were kind of rough. Um, but again, not everybody on this offensive side of the ball is perfect, and you can poke holes in any argument as to why yep. any of them should be offensive MVP. And it's the same thing for the defensive MVP. You can all you, anybody that you pick, you can find a plenty of holes to poke into the argument for it. I know you and I, we went two different ways. Um, my guy that I went with is Justin Simmons, and and the biggest reason why is we saw how big of a step back this defense took when Delaire and Turner Yell had to step in for him. Yeah, like th- that's the biggest reason why. I mean, just how bad that drop off was, and this is most valuable player. When Simmons was back, the defense, it still had their issues, but it wasn't as bad as it was when they had to deal with DeLaren Turner yell out there. Yeah, and, and quite honestly, you could you, you could almost point to the turnaround, specifically around the Green Bay game when the Broncos dropped out Damari Mathis. We'll get to, more to him here in just a little bit. But they also inserted my defensive MVP in Jaquan McMillan, man. Uh, the, the play that he had throughout that stretch run 
uh, where they won five games in a row. He was one of the top five cornerbacks at the slot position in the entire league. And then also we got Rodney Garcia jumping in here talking about PJ Locke, where Kareem Jackson was removed from that game against Green Bay for that illegal hit that he had. PJ Locke came in, had that great, tremendous interception. But Jaquan McMillan, man, over that five game stretch, he was a lockdown cornerback, had a couple of pass breakups, had a critical uh, interception against the Kansas City Chiefs, forced a critical fumble on the first drive against the Buffalo Bills to set up the Broncos offense, at least in field goal range. They did only kick a field goal on that particular play, but he was he grew this season into one of the better slot cornerbacks, and he's going to be a cornerstone piece of this defense moving forward. Yeah, I mean, he was great, and he's one of my dudes. I mean, when he was brought in as an undrafted free agent, I highlighted him. He saying that this guy he has a good chance to be a starter. I mean, obviously, you have to develop him, and he's been he was great this year. Mm-hmm. The only reason why I didn't go his way is because of the last few games. Well, Simmons kind of turned it up and played better to end the season. Jaquan McMillan struggled a lot over the last few yeah. games. Yeah, and that's, that's the only reason why I went with Simmons over McMillan. And it's funny for assistant coach of the year. That's the next award that we have is Christian Parker for me because of the work he's done with Jaquan McMillan and bringing him along and PJ Locke and bringing him along and dealing with you know, Fabian Moreau being inserted into the starting lineup mm-hmm. and the constant switching out with at safety because of Kareem Jackson being suspended, Justin Simmons being hurt, and just constantly, you know, having to rotate these guys and make them ready. Obviously, he takes a bit of a hit because Damari Mathis wasn't didn't come along under him, but he did a lot of work to help bring a, around some of these guys and at least form a pretty solid secondary, all things considered. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Right. And Eric, I want to bounce this question off you really quickly, because I I think that this might have a little bit of the impact in terms of not only Pat Sertan's play, but a little bit of the struggles in terms of Damari Mathis and stuff like that. Uh, The scheme change, going from that Vic Fangio kind of cover four, cover two man, stuff like that, to really what Vance Joseph likes to do with the with the man coverage on the outside, cover three, stuff like that. Is that kind of a does that maybe give a little bit more credence to the struggles there in terms of the teaching of Christian Parker, or is that more on the players themselves? I mean, Christian Parker having to adjust with how he's teaching things to handle, you know, uh, teaching these players on how to handle what's going on and dealing with the issues of Vance Joseph's play calling before they switched up a little mm-hmm. bit. I mean, right. yeah, that goes into it and having to make adjustments during game and then having to go and, change it because with what they're doing in coverage it was different techniques that they were doing so he had to adjust how he was teaching these techniques to be 
better suited for the calls that they were getting. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that makes a lot of sense. It actually kind of ties into the, um, where I'm going with my offense, with my, uh, assistant coach of the year here, I actually chose offensive line coach, Zach Streif, because the, the adjustments that he was allowed, that he was capable of making in terms of just the teaching of, of the scheme and everything like that, turn this offensive line. And I know it's a, a much maligned unit, especially from the fan base, but when you look at it statistically and, uh, uh, analytically, it was the eighth highest pass blocking win rate in the NFL, 61% pass blocking win rate, the third highest run blocking win rate at 73% of the time winning their blocks up front in the running game. This offensive line was tremendous. And a big part of the, the reason why I have Zach Streif at the top of this list here is because of his work with what uh, Lloyd Cushenberry was in the first three seasons of his career. He was one of the worst offensive centers in the, in, in the entire NFL. This last season, though, he was third in pass block win rate or excuse me, pass block uh, efficiency and third in pass block grade, according to uh, pro football focus. Lloyd Cushenberry turned it around dramatically this season. He got stronger in his technique. He got stronger in his in his bottom side in terms of just with his play strength and stuff like that. He worked better as a run blocker. He got out there better in terms of his timing uh, in the screen game out there. Zach Streif's a big part of his success as, as, in terms of becoming one of the premier centers in the game, at least for this last season, man. Yeah, Zach Streif, he was, again, it's a situation where he was my number two guy, and it was going back and forth. And the reason why I ultimately went with Christian Parker over Zach Streif, the resources spent into their positions. Mm -hmm. You had two big free agent signings. You have That's a fair. big free agent signing from a couple years ago. And then Quinn Miners, who was a third round draft pick that this year was supposed to be that he took off. Doesn't take away from what Zach Streif did with Lloyd Cushenberry or helping bring along Quinn Miners or any of that. But there is definitely a bigger investment there into that offensive line for this year than Patrick Sertan and Justin Simmons and the disaster show that what basically was <laughs> the rest of the secondary. Yeah. Because they were. We're going to hand Caden Stearns the starting job. We're going to hand Damari Mathis the starting job. We're not going to bring in legit competition for these guys. Mm -hmm. And look what happened. And it, ju it just fell flat a little bit. So that just put a little bit more work on Christian Parker for how he had to overcome it. it that's a, that's a fair assessment too, man. And I, and I definitely appreciate that because like you said, you know, you bring in Mike McGlinchey, we'll get to him here in just a minute too, but Ben powers, another big guy there. You also have Garrett Bowles who granted has been a, a top flight left tackle, but this year he had one of his better seasons in the last couple of years, you know, going back to where we were thumping our chest, calling him an all pro, like he's struggled for the last couple of seasons, but to go out there and the investment, like you said, is, is a big thing. And, and having Fabian Moreau, having, um, Jaquan McMillan. I, I definitely appreciate that. And then also having to work through Kareem Jackson, you know, and, and all the, the illegal hits that he had that put in the defense in bad situations, getting ejected multiple times, being suspended, working with, uh, with a guy like PJ Locke, who I thought stepped up dramatically this year was, it, it was a really good job by Christian Parker to turn this defense around specifically after the first few weeks. And we got a off the top rope, Super chat here. James Moss. This is the first time I've seen this name jumping in here with a massive super chat. And James, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for this. It's a massive amount of support from you. Um, welcome in and thank you for joining us. He says, sorry, I'm late. What did I miss? 
Understanding the need for quarterback, do you think it's better to upgrade the offensive line in the first couple rounds and get a quarterback later? Man, holy cow. First things first. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for this. This is a tremendous, man. Uh, Eric, I'm going to pass this off to you. You are the senior NFL draft analyst for milehighhuddle.com. You're obviously a lot further into this uh, operation than I am right now. But do you think it's better to continue to upgrade the offensive line and get a quarterback later? Or do you think that the Broncos should get a quarterback early in the draft? I mean, you got to take shots at quarterback and it's proven that yes, you can find a quarterback later in the draft. You can find them in second round. You can find them in the third, fourth, so on and so forth. But your highest hit rate is in the top 15. That is your best chance of finding a successful Mm -hmm. quarterback. Whereas offensive line, especially the interior offensive line, it's, pretty even throughout offensive tackles it is a little bit higher and you know in the first round than it is the rest but it's not a as big of a drop off as it is with quarterback right position so hard and if you're talented and you're going to be something in the nfl more often than not you're getting taken early um the question is the big my my question is you don't or thing is, is you don't want to force the pick there are a lot of people and i know this is going to get uh rile up the chat a little bit there are a lot of people out there that michael Penix isn't a first round quarterback but he's a day two quarterback. Then there's people where Bo Nix, uh, JJ McCarthy, and Michael Pratt are all day three quarterbacks. There was mm-hmm. an article from The Athletic today that highlighted that, obviously still early in the draft process. But that is a those are sentiments that when a lot of draft analysts that I respect and chat with and stuff, when they start saying stuff like this, it definitely catches your attention. So you don't mm-hmm. want to force a 12th, you know, a quarterback pick at 12 overall when there's a pretty general consensus of, oh, hey, this guy's going to be there later. And when you look at the consensus board that's made up by all these big draft guys, draft boards, they're pretty accurate with where player with where players end up falling, especially right. quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, obviously, they have their misses, so it's there, there's you're not going to be 100% correctly no matter what. Well, and you're absolutely correct on that. And I, I know that I would be comfortable taking Penix at 12. That's just my tape evaluation on him. Um, there, there are definitely some concerns that I have with him specifically, uh, not really on the field or off the field, but like the injury concerns, the age concerns, stuff like that. Those are, those are big things on the field, um, playing under pressure, uh, being a creator in terms of, uh, moving out of the pocket, utilizing your legs and stuff like that. I, I I can get around stuff like that, but Again, that's going to drop your draft evaluation down no matter what, specifically the age and injury concerns. So I can understand where where people are saying, you know, he's going to be a, a player picked around the 45 to 50 area, you know, mid, mid-second round guy. Um, I have more questions about Bo Nix on the field. I have more questions about J.J. McCarthy on the field. I haven't got a chance to watch Michael Pratt, so I'll stay away from him. Um, I have questions about a guy like Sam Hartman, who I think is a, a fine day three quarterback that you can pick as a developmental guy. He's not the best athlete, not the best arm talent guy, but he's just a, you know, go out there and play with timing and anticipation. So it just depends on where you want to go with this franchise right now. And quite honestly, with Russell Wilson on the outs, like that's, that's a move that's going to happen. How do you want to attack this quarterback position? And honestly, I think that another way that you can point and and poke holes in in the argument here is putting a quarterback in the right uh, position to succeed early in his career surrounding him with talent, surrounding him with an offensive line that's quality, surrounding him with quality receivers, a defense that can go out there and put the ball in your hands in advantageous situations. Like you've got to go around and build this roster the correct way and not just focus on, well, we need the quarterback right now. Well, 
we we saw what happened with a 12-year franchise quarterback in Russell Wilson and it didn't work. So it, it's a I, I know that I didn't really say a whole lot there, but I I did. And also at the same time, like you've got to understand how you want to go about building this thing. And that's that's the yeah. difficult way of understanding this conversation. Uh, we had another super chat here and then we'll get to the rest of our conversation. And I know, Eric, you've got to get going here soon. But we do have our guy, David, jumping in here with a five dollar super chat. Which one of Bulls, Simmons or Sutton is the most likely to be traded or released this year, Eric? Probably Justin Simmons is the most likely to be traded. I don't think any of them will be straight out released. Though it's either a trade or extension here, um, for them, and, and I think Justin Simmons is probably the most likely. And the reason for that is because he's the one that's going to bring back the most, ret- that biggest return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. I could see Sutton as well if you're if you're trying to move on from him. It's just going to be a, a matter of the contract there because I think there's still some guaranteed money in that. Simmons is on the last year of his guarantees this year, so you can move him. Um, and you don't have to worry about the contract. You can renegotiate him or extend him. I think Bulls is going to get extended, though. So I'm with you. I think Simmons is probably the most likely to get moved just because the financial aspect of that contract moving forward. Um, I think that rounds up any of the pressing co- – oh, we got Michael Ron- Ronquillo jumping in here. The Rock jumping in saying, good evening, Lance and Eric on Dove Valley Deep Divers. Go Broncos. Thank you, Michael, and everybody for joining us here and your guys' continued support of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast and the Mile High Huddle podcast network. So, Eric, we wait, we got Phil jumping in here as well. Uh, after 12, when do we pick next? Will there be a quarterback available? Uh, Eric, you're, again, senior NFL draft analyst. I'm going to kick this one off to you. Uh, they'll be picking in the third round because they don't have a. They currently don't have a second round pick, and obviously this is subject to change depending on different trades. And I believe that they are picking around like the fifteenth overall pick of the third round. I think I, I somewhere think around there. It's like it's like it's mid seventies, if I remember right. Right. I uh, I, I can't remember. Seventy six. Seventy six is where is where it's currently slotted. So around that area, doing a couple of mock drafts on profootballfocus.com um, using the Pro Football Network mock draft simulator as well. The guy, you mentioned his name, uh, the quarterback, I believe, from Tulane, Michael Pratt. Uh, what do you like about him, and is he a potential option for this Broncos for this Broncos uh, roster? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a good, for me, he's a good day three option. Uh, when I watch him, I don't see, I don't see day two uh, for him, but he's a guy that he could probably be a, pretty viable backup um could you know add competition for jared Sidham. he does what he, he can make the throws that sean payton will ask him to do over the middle of the field and mm-hmm. he's got a good enough arm for him just but i mean he, he doesn't have elite traits really um to, to take a gamble on yeah i like i said i haven't seen him yet so it's going to be interesting to see where we go with him uh, did i miss something here no i did not okay let's get back to our awards here we just got done doing our uh, assistant coach of the year let's go to the offensive dud of the year eric um for me this year it's javante williams running back uh, obviously coming off of the acl injury the traumatic knee injury he had this last season uh, played well early on but he slowed down dramatically as the season wore on um there his vision issues were dramatically bad especially down the stretch. He ran into his offensive lineman more often than not. Uh, the first step burst that he showed as a rookie was not there. And it, like he showed a lot as a pass catcher. So that brings me a little bit of optimism moving forward. But this year, it, it, it's hard to really be critical of him because of that knee injury. But if you're out there and ready to play, you got to play better than he did. And he was just not good this year. 
Yeah. Um, before we get that, guys, if you guys have any questions, get them in. We do have to call it quits here a little bit early. I have something that I've got to go to. Um, that's pretty important and don't want to be late for that. And so we only have a few minutes left before we got, we can get to that about five, 10 minutes. Um, so any important questions, make sure you get them in. Now for me, the offensive dud, Greg Dulcich. I mean, this is a guy that he was supposed to be, you know, the joker on the offense. He was going to create a bunch of a, um, you know, opportunities, for other people and we got to see a little bit of that for the 21 snaps he played against the Raider we got to see a little bit of um a little bit of the potential of this offense with him in it the mismatches he can create and the openings that it creates for the other receivers and then we um yeah he got hurt and out went that went out the window and we had to deal with Adam Trotman trying to be that role and he just couldn't do it um so yeah Greg Dulcich I mean, the biggest to me, it's the most obvious dud on offense, and that makes a lot of sense too. And like you said, you know, we call him the Joker role, the the guy that was supposed to be the mismatch over the middle of the field. And I don't want to slander Russ here or anything like that, but it not really like it would have mattered because even with with Troutman or with uh, Lucas Kroll, it didn't matter. Working over the middle of the field was not an option for this offense. On the defensive side of the field, man, uh, my my biggest dud of the year was DJ Jones. And this was arguably the worst season we've seen from him in a long time, maybe even in his entire career. He was pushed around in the run game, chose wrong gaps, uh, didn't show the, the play strength at the point of attack like we have, we grew accustomed to him this last season. He was practically non-existent as a pass rusher, and he was inconsistent all season long. I mean, it, it was flash plays here, flash plays there, but for the most part, it was moving backwards 90% of the time, or at least that's what it felt like watching him on tape, man. Yeah, I mean, DJ Jones, he was a guy that I was considering. Uh, Jonathan Harris was another one I was considering yeah. as well. But I didn't go Jonathan Harris because uh, the, I, I didn't have very high expectations for him. But the guy I went with was Damari Mathis. I mean, he was a guy who was handed the starting job, which was a mistake in my opinion, um, and just ended up worse than he was his rookie year. And I, I know that there was a scheme change and everything, but even after they started to adjust and started doing what they were doing last year a little bit more, um, something similar to that, Damari Mathis still struggled and still got himself benched because of how bad he was and somehow ended up worse than before that even. So to me, that's that's the biggest dud. And it was a big dud from the Broncos in general to, I mean, they got Riley Moss, but he wasn't, they didn't go after Riley Moss with the intent of having him really compete for the starting job this year. It yeah. was Patrick Sertan and Damari Mathis as the starters, and everybody else was competing for depth, and that was a big mistake. Phil coming in saying, is it possible that Peyton's scheme is outdated? No. His scheme no. is still, like, variations of it are still very prominent in the NFL. Um, a lot of teams use variations of it, you know, very, you know, middle of the field. Um Set it, you know, using the run to help set up the pass. Um, that part to me is a little bit outdated. Um, but you can set up the pat, you can set up the run by by passing. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of where you know the more modern take of it is. But no, his, I wouldn't say overall his scheme's not outdated, and he's he's shown the willingness to adjust and adapt his scheme to modern times multiple times over the previous few years. Yeah, and and the big thing is you saw open receivers over the all over the field all season long. It's all right. I'm gonna do it. 
you got to be able to play quality uh, quality with timing and anticipation from the quarterback position, especially over in the middle of the field, and that just didn't happen this year. It, like plain and simple, there were there were players open all the time. There were shots that were able to be taken, and they just never happened. Plain and simple, like it's, it's not outdated. You, you can work with what Sean Payton called. You can work with it, whether it's Russell Wilson or Jarrett Stidham. You just got to find the right quarterback to play within the system, man. That's that's this really just all there is to it. All right, Eric, uh, let's get these last two in. Let's do the biggest boom and biggest bust addition to this team. Um, we were going to do a couple of games here we want to talk about, but I know you got you got to get moving here. Uh, let's do the biggest boom addition for, uh, for this team. This is uh, players that were not on the roster last year that were brought in that uh, were the biggest boom additions. This year for me, it's Marvin Mims, the wide receiver from Oklahoma, second-round pick. Uh, obviously he was mentioned earlier in the show in terms of being the second, second team, all pro kick returner, uh, for the associated press this year, but he showed up every single, every single week. It showed in the punt return game specifically to me that explosive playmaking ability that, uh, he was lauded for at his time as Oklahoma was, was out there early and often. He caught so many good punts and, and had a bunch of different great returns, um, both punt and kick returns showed some of the the deep shots uh, as a field stretcher earlier in the season. To me, it just needed a little bit more opportunities um, on the offensive side of the football, but they did what they could with him because he was so limited as a player. He didn't grow nearly as much. I could call him a bust addition here, but he helped set this this team up in so many advantageous situations that the, the offense never got an opportunity to really take advantage of through the the the, the, stra- the struggles and failures of the offense in general. So my biggest boom addition was Marvin Mims, and I hope to see a lot more from him uh, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I definitely get the argument for it, but I mean, he pretty much cost the New England game, which to me was the most disappointing loss this season. Um, because if Denver wins that game, they're still they're alive. The that game basically eliminated their playoff chances. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and he was a big factor, making a really big no-no in that game mm-hmm. that basically cost it. For me, my boom addition was Zach Allen. Started off rough, but this dude ended up top 10 in multiple categories for def- interior defensive linemen for pass rushers. He, out of 100, um, out of, I think it was like 68 total. I didn't actually write it down. My bet on that. 68 total interior defensive linemen. He had the 10th most pass rush snaps. He was 22nd in total pressures, but his was 8th in pass rush um, pr- or in pe- pressure percentage. Um, he, he was up there in other categories. He was in third behind like Chris Jones and Aaron Donald. He had an absolutely great year and he did it with no help up front, no consistent help anyways, up front. Mm-hmm. It's a great for year for him. And then both of ours, our biggest bust here. Yeah. Um, we're in agreement. I think everybody know who can come in. Who's the biggest bust addition. Is there Mike any McGlinchey. other options except for Mike McGlinchey? I mean, this is a guy out of a hundred total offensive tackles. He ranked, he had the 28th highest blown block pass blocking percentage and was 18th highest blown block run block percentage. They ran to his side 61.6% of the time for an average of four yards per um, per attempt, which was the 51st lowest out of 124. He had point or negative 0.1 EPA, which was like 34th out of the out of 100. And then 1.2 yards per before contact, which was the 20th lowest out mm-hmm. of 100 plus offensive tackles. This dude 
was blowing blocks. He, he was a big detriment to the offense. When you want to look at the offensive line and find what the issue was, 99% of the time, it was Mike McGlinchey. Yep. Yeah. The fifth most pressures of any tackle with at least uh, 549 pass block snaps, according to Pro Football Focus. I thought I wrote that number down, but it was in the 60s, I think. It was awful. Um, And also tied for the worst pass blocking efficiency of those tackles, as well at 94.8%. The worst right tackle in the NFL this season of any player that had 549 uh, pass block snaps this year. He was atrocious. And when you sign a guy like that to a five-year, $87.5 million contract coming in here, you expect him to be one of the better tackles in the game. And he very specifically was not that. Uh, Michael Rocquillo jumping in here again. Appreciate the support as always, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us as you usually do every single night and morning here on the Mile High Huddle Podcast Network saying great show tonight. Lance and Eric on the Dove Valley Deep Divers. Go Broncos. And thank you all for joining us. We're going to cut the show a little bit short tonight. Um, Eric's got some stuff going on. I also have some stuff going on as well. So thank you all for joining us. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter by finding me at Lance S underscore MHH. And for Eric at Eric Trickle. Also, guys, while you are at it, make sure you guys are pleased following at Mile High Huddle on Twitter. That is the greatest way to find all of your Denver Broncos content, whether it's breaking news and analysis, opinion articles, film breakdowns, anything like that to suit your fancy, anything Broncos related, you're going to find it there. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Mile High Huddle Pod. Continue on with the conversation there behind the scenes. And guys, the three things you can always do to help support the show is subscribe wherever you guys are watching the show, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or Twitch, Apple Podcasts, does not matter. Like every video and article article you guys see across all platforms. And if you love it, please share it and get it out to a, a, as many Broncos fans as possible because without your guys' support, we could not do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now, Eric, any last words before you got to get out of here, buddy? Yeah. No birthday wishes? I turned 32 oh, hey, on yes. Monday. That's right. That's right. Eric, Eric's an old man. Eric's an old man. He turns 32 on Monday. Uh, so a happy birthday to you. Early birthday wishes for you, sir. Um, you're going to get a, a positive message from me in uh, the private chat uh, here in just a little bit about that anyways. but Completely undeserved, but thank you <laughs> you're welcome man. it's <laughs> it's always a pleasure to be able to do the show with you and, and to join in with everybody sorry for the shaky start to the show guys i do apologize for that but thank you all for joining us uh playoff games do you, are you gonna watch the playoff football this weekend you're gonna wait till after the fact no uh, too much going on i don't blame you i'm doing a pulled pork dinner for my father-in-law who's a big miami dolphins fan go dolphins we're dolphins fans this weekend everybody here but uh with that, you all stay safe and take care. Have a great rest of your weekend. And as always, go Broncos. We'll see you guys same time and same place next week. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson.